electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for the judge, Scott Wapner, and we are less than two hours away from one of the most critical Fed decisions in years. Will policymakers stand firm and keep on raising rates, or will the dramatic fallout from the ongoing banking crisis give them cause to pause? We're going to take that question to our investment committee. We've got a good one today. Joining us for the hour right here at the New York Stock Exchange, Liz Young, Joe Terranova, and Steve Weiss. First, let's get a quick check on the markets as we await the Fed decision at 2 p.m. Eastern. Bit of a muted day on the markets today. We're seeing the Dow down fractionally, the S&P up fractionally, the Nasdaq doing the best, if you want to call it that, up fractionally as well. The 10-year note at 3.59. We've seen a slight move to the upside on the 10-year yield this week as we await this Fed decision, moving about 10 basis points higher. Not that notable. And now it's time to get right to CNBC senior economics reporter Steve Leesman, live in Washington, D.C., ahead of the Fed. Steve, take it away. Hey, hey, Frank, could be some reckoning today. Markets trading right now with an 84% probability of a 25 base point hike, but that's actually below the 100% level that we usually go into these meetings with on the day you have an announcement. Uh, the Fed is expected to hike 25 basis points. You can expect the Fed chair to say banks are well capitalized and talk perhaps about this idea of separating monetary policy tools for dealing with inflation with financial stability tools dealing with the bank turmoil. And he might, and this is the key here, emphasize uncertainty about future move. It is in the guidance where all the action is likely to be in markets today. And there could be some sharp reckoning in those markets, depending upon what the Fed decides and what Fed Chair Powell says. Here, the market is priced in the chance of one more hike and then cuts beginning in the summer. Pretty sharp down to 440. So there could be sharp rate movements for a market that is priced right now. There's the 440 again. And a Fed that currently predicts that year-end will be 513 and could today ratchet it up again to 537. With the question also if stocks are baking in cuts and are unprepared for a Fed that still sees itself batting inflation in the year ahead. The key is going to be listen. Listen carefully to the Fed chair and how much concern he expresses about the potential for the recent bank turmoil to drag down the economy, growth, and reduce inflation. That is, how much of the Fed's goal to reduce inflation is accomplished by the banks. Frank? Steve, stick around. We know you got a big meeting at 2 o'clock, but uh, we want to stick or have you stick around so we can bounce a couple things off you really quick. I want to bring in the committee right now. Liz, you're sitting right here to my left-hand side. Um, Steve broke out some numbers. 83% chance of a 25-point hike, 17% chance of no change at all. What camp do you fall in? Uh, first of all, I don't think we can separate monetary policy and financial stability at this point after the events that have occurred over the last couple of weeks. I think they are now hand in hand and they're going to continue being hand in hand until we finish this rate hike cycle. Steve is absolutely right that we usually come into these meetings with a pretty clear idea of what we're expecting. I think 83, 84 percent is still pretty clear of an expectation. 
what's going to be the risk, and I say this every time that we have a Fed meeting, I mean it even more today. The most dangerous time to trade the market is between 2 and 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. You get the data at 2, you get the dot plot at 2, you get the economic projections at 2. He starts talking at 2.30 and almost inevitably we reverse whatever that first move was. So this is a time where we literally have to sit on our hands, watch it happen, listen closely. I think that probably there's an excuse to do both things. What I would say the responsible thing to do here is to pause, say that we're waiting for more data, leave it open to possible hikes later on, find out if this does have as much of a disinflationary effect as they're expecting, and then do it again. I don't think that that's going to be the case, though. I think he's got clearance to hike by 25 because of the rallies that we've seen over the last few days. All right, Liz Young, 25-point hike. Wait and see approach to trading until at least after 2.30 Eastern time. Joe Turnover, where do you stand? Well, I agree with Liz. The market has given the Federal Reserve the opportunity to raise by 25 basis points. That's clear. Uh, I still go back to the experience of the Orange County bankruptcy in December of 94. Federal Reserve raises one more time after that. And then by the middle of 95, they're cutting rates. I also believe that the rally that we've witnessed in the market now introduces an element of surprise which previously didn't exist in the last several days. Now the surprise is if the Federal Reserve is far more hawkish than we are expecting, then you will see a dramatic impact on the market and obviously a negative one for that. Um, what they should do is really sit back and pause. I think, as I said the other day, they're going to be criti uh, criticized in either direction. If he raises 25, he'll be called John Claude Trichet. If he does nothing, he's Arthur Burns. So he's going to be criticized hey, Frank, in either direction. But I Frank, think. Can, can I ask Joe and Liz, who's, who are arguing for a pause, and, and in my presentation just a minute ago, I talked about the potential, and I don't know that's going to happen, for the Fed to ratchet up the outlook for 2023 to 537. Guys, even that three bar chart in the back that I used earlier. That's a potential. It wouldn't take only a couple votes to, to go that way. And I just want to know, Joe, does the market freak if the Fed goes the other way and said instead of a pause, it really says we're going to do more this year? Yeah, that's, that's the surprise, Steve. That's the hawkish surprise, given that the market has, has rallied 4.5% uh, for the NASDAQ and, and the S&P, basically 3% in the last five days. The market is not prepared for that. I also think what it doesn't do is remove the most important condition for the market, and that's the interest rate volatility. How do you relax the interest rate volatility? That's really significant. Last point on all of this is understand the stress in the mortgage-backed security market right now. That is extremely intense. Silicon Valley Bank has $58 billion in MBS that if they want to raise liquidity, they're going to sell. So they're going to sell alongside the Federal Reserve. How is the Federal Reserve at this meeting going to address that? The need to sell MBS to raise liquidity at a time where the Federal Reserve is no longer the marginal buyer for these mortgage-backed securities because they want to sell with them. Right. Steve Weiss, give me one second. While we still have Steve Leeson, we're going to lose him in just a few minutes. Steve Leeson, I just want to run on your point for a second about possibly the, the Fed continuing its rate hike strategy. I know there's five new voting members this year. They've all been with the Fed for less than a year. Are those the wild cards you're talking about that might lead to this outcome that a lot of I people think, aren't talking about? I think there is a potential wild card. we got five freshmen voting this time around. We've got a Barr and Cook and Jefferson on the board appointed by Biden and Logan from Dallas and Goolsby. They've all been with the Fed less than a year. They've all been at the Fed during a time when we didn't really able to answer the question 
are they hawks and doves? Because everybody was a hawk. Inflation was high. The Fed was hiking aggressively. Wasn't any question. Now there might be a question. On the other side of that business that we don't know, and there could be some uncertainty about either the vote today or the dot plot today or speeches in the future, whether or not they're more concerned about the disinflationary impact of the banking system. There's also Powell, who is, by the way, statistically, he is Mr. Consensus. We looked it up today, and there have been fewer dissents on a percentage basis with Powell than there were under Greenspan, Bernanke, and Yellen. I don't remember the number of votes, but it's only 3%. It's half of what it was for Bernanke and Yellen, which means he will change the statement or do what he has to do, probably, to keep more people on board. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Steve give us... Give us a second. Let's get over to Steve Weiss and give us like five more minutes. I know you got to get out of here soon, but give us five more minutes. We want to get your reaction right. to somebody. I don't think anybody calls Mr. Consensus. Steve Weiss, we got to get your take. And Steve Leisman, please stick around. So well, please. thank you for properly identifying me as an opinion leader. <laughs> so look, here's what I say. The Fed is going to go 25, I believe. If they don't go 25, the message that they send is that, hey, maybe these banks are in trouble. Maybe they can't tolerate another 25, but their focus has to remain on inflation inflation, which is the most insidious factor that can affect the economy and the people that can less that can least afford rising prices. So I think they do go. But the message will, really will be in the dot plot. So what is that going to tell us? That's what you've got to look to. And I do believe that Fed's got a dual mandate, which is employment and inflation. So they're going to pursue their policy along that. Now, they're also responsible for the financial health of the banks. but. I don't believe that's an issue right now. You have two notorious examples, one principal one, which Silicon Valley Bank, of poor risk management. It's not up to the Fed to make a policy decision based upon their poor risk management, particularly when it's not a JP Morgan or B of A. So I think that they go ahead. I think that the hawkish dialogue continues. I think it's kind of asinine to believe that in six months, the Fed's going to start cutting rates. It's usually a year, a year after the last increase. So that's my view. Hopefully I didn't disappoint you, Frank. <laughs> Steve Weiss, you never disappoint me. Steve Leisman, are we, we still have you down there in D.C.? I am still here, so sir. What's your take on what Steve Weiss had to say? Um, he's saying inflation, insidious, and that's what the Fed has to make its number one priority. Yeah, well, first of all, I wouldn't call the market pricing asinine. I would call it confusing and, and perhaps not correct in the sense that you look at that rate outlook chart and you see those cuts built in. I'm not sure it's the, it, it's the right call here. Um, But really what it comes down to is two things that we don't see. We can't see the flow of money in the banking system. Powell can see that. If he sees that there's money still fleeing the regional banks or some of these other banks and going into, he might be more concerned than we are right now because he's seeing that flow of funds right now. The other thing is that we don't know what the ultimate impact is going to be of what people expect to be tighter credit standards. Ultimately, Steve, that is a disinflationary impulse to the economy. It has always been less lending. It might mean, by the way, higher interest rates for your loan, but that also means less borrowing, and that could mean fewer jobs and less inflation down the road. So we don't know that. He's going to have to take a gamble with that, that he can deal with that later when it appears and not preemptively. Steve, it's Joe. So on the surface, the debate ranges 25 basis points or a pause. But the real stress is on balance sheets. How does the Federal Reserve chairman address that? How does he address my concern with mortgage-backed securities? Do you think that he's going to give us any guidance on what he may or may not do with the balance sheet as we move through this? 
So, Joe, I'm not sure that this solves your problem with mortgage-backed securities, but remember, the Fed is offering you a one-year loan at par, not you, offering banks a one-year loan at par for your mortgage-backed security, right? At the one-year OIS spread plus 10 basis points is the rate, so it's like 470, 480, something like that. Maybe a little bit lower today because of what's happened. But in any event, you can take that that on your balance sheet. You can finance it for a period of time uh, that removes the uh, the concern on your balance sheet, at least for now. Um, I think that he takes the information that he has about what's happening in the banking system tries to overlay that on the system joe i don't i don't think he's gonna he's gonna panic here and i i, I don't know what to do with steve's idea about you don't want to show panic look if the house is on fire you call the fire trucks no matter what it shows about what's happening inside the house all right, Steve Leesman, we got to leave it there. It's been a good time, not a long time. We know you got to make your way over to the Fed. Thank you, you as soon, always Frank. for joining us. All right, so Steve Weiss, I want to come back over to you. You're saying inflation is the number one thing they have to tackle. Inflation reports, they're backwards looking. Right now, we know credit is tightening. Uh, loan activity is expected to drop off. Don't they have to respond to this immediate crisis? Just kind of jumping off of Steve's metaphor yep. about the house on fire. Isn't the house smoking at least right now? I don't believe it is, but but... Obviously, Powell's a lot more for, for informed than Steve, than anybody here, because he's seen the actual flows. All I can key off of is what we've seen so many bank CEOs come out and say, we're picking up deposits. We know that's true. We can see that, that the equity market has rallied back, providing some comfort, because while the Fed doesn't care about the equity market, people do when they hear it every day. Oh, the Dow finished up higher. Oh, Microsoft's up another 3%. So then that gives them some comfort. So my bet is that you don't see a disaster, you don't see stresses in the bank system, and that the Fed gets back to or stays on course with inflation. Now, of course, if Powell's seeing something different, which he could be, although I ascribe a small chance that, then they should pause, right? Because you don't want more runs in the financial system. But where are you going to go? Are you going to go in treasuries? We saw a big move in treasuries, we saw rates. We're seeing rates move back up. Right. So the 10 years move back up. So I still think it's focused on inflation. And I going back to cutting rates in six months, you don't want that to happen, because if that happens, that means the economy has gone into more of a tailspin. Right. And the Fed has to react yeah. by cutting rates. So well, that, and I don't think that's going to be the case. So that tailspin metaphor, you're not the only one putting it out there. Uh, J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic using that same kind of unsettling metaphor, saying a soft landing now looks unlikely with the airplane and a tailspin and engines about to turn off. Liz Young, are we at that point right now? And if so, is a 25 basis point hike, is that the answer? I don't think we're in a tailspin now, but I disagree with Steve in the sense that I do think that there's smoke coming out of the house. Uh, these analogies are going to drive us all crazy. But <laughs> Look, it may be the case that we don't see more headlines of the same nature, right, of the deposit fleeing nature. It may not be that it's regional banks, but I do think that this was the beginning of exposing what is a universal problem for the market and for corporations right now, which is liquidity and the fact that we sucked all the liquidity out of the system very quickly on a number of different levels. And the market moved very quickly in response. So this liquidity issue, I think, will continue to show itself in different ways. Look at things like high yield spreads, right? Up 100 basis points just in the last couple weeks because of what's going on. So for a long time, I've thought that there's some sort of credit event out there, whether it's 
companies trying to refinance debt that was taken out when rates were very low and they can't quite make those ratios anymore. I don't know what the next big headline is, but I feel confident saying that I don't think we've seen the end of the headlines. I just don't know that it's going to be the same type over and over again. If so we, I still think they will have to cut, not for a good reason, but I think they will have to cut before the end of the year. Maybe not three times, but I think we'll see at least a 25 basis point cut so, before. So if you bring it yeah. all back to the equity markets, that's why I continue to be bearish. Because everything you've said, everything Steve said, everything Joe said, right, whether it's liquidity crunch, whether there's smoke coming out of the house, all it means that earnings are going to decline, that the market P.E. is unsustainable and is and actually is sort of ridiculous that you've seen multiple expansion in the face of a truly declining economy with best, best case, believing that poll, which I don't believe, that rates will be cut in six months. How do you explain the resiliency, though, in the equities market with all the negative news, all the negative events of the last 10 days? Yep. It's, it's remarkably surprising how strong we are. You know, I, I think there's a lot we don't understand how this market trades, whether it's the increasing of algos, whether it's that, that index funds own more than 50% of every equity. Um, just don't know. I mean, it just doesn't trade on how we all okay. grew up in the market on fundamentals and that there's an insatiable appetite, as I've repeatedly said, to focus on the single data point in a sea of red data points to justify buying the market. All right. Let's bring one more voice into this conversation. Our halftime headliner on the phone, Fundstrat Managing Partner and Head of Research, Tom Lee. He's out with a new note saying, and this is quite the headline, that a 25 basis point hike today is both bullish and bearish and that stocks they might rally anyway. Tom, uh, quite the opinion here. You're known as a big time bull here. So explain this. No matter which way we go with the Fed decision today, you're seeing a rally? Uh, well, Frank, I'd say that the, the probabilities are higher for a rally. And I think that I think Steve made an important point, which is that even though the stock market's been kind of resilient, there's been a huge tightening of financial conditions in the credit world. You know, the, the best way to see it is the move index, which is basically the bond VIX, is that it's still at 160. I mean, that's like a 50 VIX. And we know there was almost a black swan-like failure of many hedge funds last week in credit. And so the Fed, I think, has to be cognizant that if they do something that further tightens financial conditions, and it means that stocks actually fall, this banking crisis could fuel more panic. So I, I think that investors know this. They've been cautiously positioned, which is a point we've made. I think that the fact that bond VIX has pulled us, financial conditions are super tight there. So I think whatever Fed action they do is not about how much they raise, but it's their desire for financial conditions to not get worse. And I think that's why stocks could actually rally today post FOMC decision. All right, Tom, let's just flesh out your note a little bit. You say in the note that many people on the street believe only oblivious investors are still in equities right now, but you say that equities could actually be a leading indicator. So what are they indicating? Give us a sense of what you believe they could be indicating right now. Yeah, I'm, I, I think there's a lot of ways to look at it. Um, Year-to-date, leadership has come from technology and FANG. You know, FANG is up 30% this year. Uh, early in December, we said we thought FANG could rise 40% this year. That's pretty big signal to us because, one, these are stocks that generally do well if the market believes interest rates are actually starting to decline, which is the case, or if we're avoiding a recession. It'd be tough to be long FANG if we're going to be tipping into a recession. And more importantly, FANG and tech were the first stocks to really fall out of the sky in 2022 as inflation was rearing its head. 
And now they're starting to show leadership. And, and you know, by the way, that's 40% of the stock market is really tech and fang. I think that the inflation story has kind of legged lower. That's why Fed futures have broken. It's not just the credit is tightening and that's going to slow inflation. I think the inflation psychology is broken. There's not stories now of inflation in the media. And then I think that means fewer people are going to be asking for raises. And, you know, in the venture world, they were probably 30% of all new job creation. I mean, that's slowed down for now. So I think even the Fed's going to get some cover from weaker job creation. So I think that's a real story thing is that structurally the market bottom. By the way, this was the pattern in 2008. You know, tech began to lead as early as November 2008, and that signaled that the, that the internal bottom was in. All right, let's lean on your, your theory when it comes to tech right now. Look at the NASDAQ 100, up 6% month to date, the best performer month to date. So you also believe that tech is doing better because a lot of investors believe that the Fed has changed strategies. So do you believe that? And if so, what are all these invest? What's, what's the strategies that, what is the new strategy, I should say, that investors believe the Fed's going to follow now? Frank, I do think the Fed's rate path has changed. You know, it's not just a pause. I think we're really forking down a new path because I think previously the idea was we had to stay higher for long because the Fed was fearful that the economic strength was so strong that it was going to help re-anchor inflation as a mindset. You know, but now look, look, look what's happened. Consumer expectations for inflation have tanked. There's almost no stories about inflation, so no one's really asking for raises. And I think now the fragility in banking is creating downside risk that if there is a landing, as you guys said, if, if there's a landing, it could be a crash landing. I think the Fed has to be very worried that they could actually create a, a very hard landing that would require a lot of policy tools and even government intervention to prevent wider bank failures. I think that's the reason the Fed's path is now forked. Tom, it's Joe. Given the environment that you're describing, clearly coming into 2023, the strategy was to be overweight cyclicals, overweight financials, energy and healthcare, and really underweight the FANG group and uh, the, the entirety of technology itself, certainly the non-profitable areas. Are you now suggesting that there is the need to move away from that strategy and now move out of energy into technology, move out of healthcare into the fangs. Is that the approach you would take? Joe, this, as you know, this has been a last couple of years, like a lot of rules seem to be uh, a little wonky. I think that it's, I believe it's likely that the PMIs are bottom this year. Uh, we're seeing that in the evidence in new orders. And, you know, financial conditions stabilized, the PMIs have bottomed. And that has almost 100% of the time been bullish for industrial. So I think it, it still makes sense to be long industrial. But there's been many times when you want to be long industrials and long tech, even cyclical tech and thing at the same time, that's usually at the start of an early cycle recovery. So I, I think it still makes sense. And then, of course, energy, I think, has no is no longer a commodity group as much as a sort of almost a quality growth group because we know it's, there's just a huge shortage of supply, and now we know there's an end market China coming back. So I think energy still works in the second half. So it still seems like energy, tech, and industrials can work. And so it's sort of like stay early cyclical but add tech. All right, Tom Lee, our halftime headliner. New note, a 25 basis point hike today is both bullish and bearish. Quite the take. I'm sure you're getting a lot of calls and emails from your clients. Tom Lee, thank you very much. 
All right, the investment committee is making some moves. Joe, you added gold to your position yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it's the only thing in the last several weeks that seems to be working. Uh, I'm utilizing the GLD. I had a little bit of a correction yesterday in gold. I'm still of the belief, given that this is the single largest deflationary shock we've experienced since the Federal Reserve began fighting against inflation, that gold works in this environment. So took advantage of a little bit of the correction yesterday. Let's remember also central banks, their holdings of golds are at a multi year low. They're beginning to rebuild that as well. I think that $2,000 print that you saw in gold is a print that's going to be sustainable over the coming months. All right, looking at gold up almost a half a percent. Liz, last time you were here on March 10th, I believe, uh, the day of the SVB crisis, actually, you said gold was your pick. It was. It was my final trade. I was on the set with Mr. Steve Weiss. Oh, how do you um, call that? The, the day. <laughs> she's <laughs> trying, she's trying to forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I chose gold as my final trade that day because that was sort of the beginning of we have to figure out what's actually happening in the, in the banking system, what's going to happen with global central banks, uh, how stressful does this actually get. And if you're looking for something to park your money in, I assumed that most people had already heard that you could put it in short-term treasuries and cash. Gold is, is sort of the next thing that I think is going to hold value here and even rise throughout some of this uncertainty. All right, again, gold up about a half a percent right now. All right, stay with us. Weiss is making some moves in the banks with those trades, plus what the rest of the desk thinks of the sector right now. We're looking at the markets right now. Uh, S&P, regional bank ETF down a percent and a half. Halftime, back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back to Halftime. We're watching financials ahead of the Fed decision. They are holding steady today following a volatile month of the sector. Regional banks have been hit especially hard. That group is down more than 25% in March, and that's creating opportunity for our investment committee. Steve Weiss, you're initiating a position in Key Corp and adding to Bank of America and Goldman. Yeah, so let's talk about Key Corp first. So I bought the stock, trading just six times earnings with a 7% yield. So maybe the yield gets cut in half, even though I don't think it will. But I went through what's available, public data. It looked pretty reasonable to me. The CEO came on CNBC. I don't think he lied, said they're picking up deposits, that they've managed the risk well. And so I thought it was a pretty good opportunity. It's not a big position. It's not 
as small as a very speculative position, but it's always been a high quality bank. So that's why I bought those, an unusual opportunity to get this at a significant discount. In terms of B of A and Goldman, uh, two different stories. I cut back both positions substantially, as I'd mentioned uh, a number of months ago. Uh, and I thought they just got to compelling levels to buy them. Goldman, with the, um, I believe, is going to see, well, the IPO market, I don't think it's coming back anytime soon. I believe that the companies that were borrowing money from Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley Bank are now going to have to do equity offerings. So not all of them are going to stay in business, but there'll be more of an opportunity to do that. So Goldman. Look, they know how to manage both their balance sheet and both their prop book. So I just believe that when you can get something at that kind of discount that you have to do it when it's quality bank, quality management. Liz, what's your take on the banks? I mean, is there a substantial difference between the big banks and the regional banks right now when it comes to investability? Obviously the balance sheets are different, but investability. Look, even, even if the banks don't end up being the big problem here, I think at this point in the cycle, they're patient zero. And they're going to continue to be sort of guilty by association if we continue to have headlines until this all kind of bakes through. I do think you have to be choosy in the sector. And there's going to be, I think, more regional banks that we get headlines about. So this is a time where when we have these little rallies and, and look, full disclosure, I've been I was I was pretty positive on financials coming into this. That changed very quickly a couple of weeks ago. If you get these little rallies, that's a chance for if you have broad exposure to financials, you don't want to paint with a broad brush here. You have to be specific. I think those are opportunities to sell your broad exposure or at least trim it. But I think you can be choosy and own some financials. I just wouldn't be telling people to buy into volatility. I would still wait this out. I think that if we do have a downturn, you're going to see the cyclicals, including financials, get hit harder. And that's a better entry point. And then I think they're the ones that lead us back out of it. Usually the ones that get hit the hardest are the catalyst on the way in, and they bounce the biggest on the way out. All right, Joe, you got Bank of America and Morgan Stanley. Thinking about trimming, standing pat no, right now? No, I'm okay with Bank of America and Morgan Stanley. I think to, to Liz's point on the regional banks, you want to stay higher up in market cap, look at super regionals, PNC, USB. But, but we have not passed the point of stress and potential contagion for the banks. Look at today, and I, and I believe you'll look at overall at the indexes, you need there to be a degree of healing and like yesterday, the financials to be strong. The financials are not strong today. In particular, real estate, which let's remember, real estate used to be included in the financial sector. Real estate in the last five days as a sector is down four and a half percent. That's the worst performance of the 11 major S&P sectors. So I think it's important to understand and observe what's going on in the real estate sector. It's part of the financial institutions. And for the market really to accelerate from here, you have to have the type of formation that we had yesterday where you saw financials giving the strength to the market. You know, we're doing a deep dive on real estate on Worldwide Exchange, 5 a.m. Eastern. Shameless plug for my show. All right, <laughs> time now to look at the European markets just closing for the day. Let's get to our, our Juliana Tattlebob. She's live in our London newsroom with much more. Speaking of Worldwide Exchange, good to see you again, Juliana. 
Greg, good to see you again. I look forward to that real estate deep dive. As for European trade today, it was a relatively calm trading session compared to recent days. Stock 600 starting the day on a cautious note, but ultimately marching higher and ending in positive territory. The euro pushing higher versus the U.S. dollar as ECB President Christine Lagarde delivered what analysts are calling a strong and balanced speech this morning, reiterating that inflation in the euro area remains too high, but at the same time acknowledged that the ECB is watching for signs of stress in the banking sector. Elsewhere in FX markets, sterling surged versus the dollar today, hitting almost 123. It has since retreated. This has UK inflation surprised to the upside, jumping to 10.4 percent in February. That's up from 10.1 percent in January and well ahead of the 9.9 percent forecast. This has added pressure to the Bank of England, which meets tomorrow to hike rates. So now the market is firmly expecting a 25 basis point hike tomorrow. As for the banks, we've swung between gains and losses throughout the day, ultimately ending little changed. Frank? All right, Juliana, thank you very much. Time now to get over to our Christina Parts and Evelis with a market flash. Christina. Well, let's talk about life storage jumping right here just in the last few minutes. And this is on a Bloomberg report that extra space storage is weighing making an offer for the company. And of course, you know, we're going to bring you the more details just as soon as we get it. But life storage that you're seeing on your screen right now up by 2.8%, almost 3% higher, while extra space trades a little lower. At least uh, the names are similar, so not to confuse anyone. But Frank? All right, Christina, thank you very much. Up next, Thanks. we're following a developing story on Moderna. The company's CEO testifying before Congress on a planned price hike for its COVID vaccine. One of the committee members owns that stock. Their take when halftime returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. Here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Former President Donald Trump will not be indicted today over his handling of hush money payments to Stormy Daniels. Two sources familiar with the matter tell NBC that Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg has asked the grand jury investigating the allegations to stay home today, but to be on standby for tomorrow. Former British Prime Minister Boris Johnson appeared before a panel of lawmakers today investigating whether he deliberately lied to Parliament when he initially said no COVID lockdown rules had been broken by some Downing Street gatherings. I'm here to say to you, hand on heart, that I did not lie to the House. When those statements were made, they were made in good faith and on the basis of what I honestly knew and believed at the time. And you might call them the hole-in-the-wall gang. Authorities in Virginia say two inmates escaped from prison through a hole they created with tools made from a toothbrush and a metal object. They were rearrested several hours later at a 24-hour IHOP restaurant. Thanks to tips from people who called police after seeing them there. Frank, imagine risking it all on IHOP. I get it. Back to you. It's like a budget Shawshank Redemption. Instead of making it to the Caribbean, you just get to IHOP. Dear Drabosa, thank you very get much. Get some pancakes. <laughs> All right, we are also following a developing story on the drug maker Moderna. Shares down about a percent and a half right now. The company's CEO on Capitol Hill today 
discussing a planned price hike for its COVID vaccine. Let's get to Meg Terrell with the very latest. Meg. Hey, Frank. Well, Moderna has laid out plans to increase the price of its vaccine per dose to $110 to $130 uh, after it goes into the commercial market expected later this year. That's up from $15 to $26 per dose, which is what they paid in these government deals that uh, were orchestrated during the course of the pandemic. Here's an exchange between the Senate Health Committee Chairman Bernie Sanders and Moderna CEO Stefan Bonsell. The United States government helped you develop that vaccine. It is a huge consumer. Are you prepared to substantially charge less for the vaccine to the United States government and our agencies? Given the situation at hand, Mr. Chairman, we have no idea of the volume that we needed this year. We have very increased complexity. Yeah, you have complexity, but you have money for stock buybacks by the billions, and you guys became billionaires. That doesn't seem too complex to me. So this is really emblematic of some of the exchanges we saw this morning and a lot of pressure being put on Moderna. You can see it's stock there down almost 2%. And from what I'm hearing, it is actually due to this exchange or not this particular one, but the entire uh, hearing really showing the pressure that's going to be put on Moderna around this price, maybe suggesting that this price doesn't last and really being sort of indicative of growing pressure on the entire industry over drug prices with Senator Bernie Sanders chairing this committee, getting this bigger bully pulpit, things that we've seen in the inflation reduction. Act, there is a lot more pressure from Washington on the drug industry right now. Frank. Our, our Meg Terrell, great reporting as always. Meg, thank you very much. Weiss, you own Moderna. I just want to read the, the, the title of this hearing really quick, and I want to get your take on this. Here's the title of the hearing. Taxpayers paid billions for it, so why would Moderna consider quadrupling the price of its COVID vaccine? So clearly a contentious tone there. Yep. Well, this is capitalism. So you, you have this clown car politicians from the right and the left. Bernie Sanders being probably driving that car next to Elizabeth Warren. On the other side, you have Marjorie Taylor Greene, you have Tom Cotton, et cetera. So ignore the politics. Let's look at, look at the country overall and what drives us, capitalism. So it had always been, and I talked about maybe a year ago, that Moderna, once the pandemic was over, they pledged to keep prices low during the pandemic. Pandemic is over, so now they're raising prices to 125. So I really don't see anything wrong with that. Anybody who wants to get a vaccination can still get one subsidized. So, but at the end of the day, Moderna is in business to make money. Okay. And with the drug companies, all these drug companies, they shouldn't be egregious and overcharged like they have with the EpiPens or with insulin. But on certain products, they should be allowed to charge. Because what happens with those proceeds? Sure, they can buy back stocks, nothing illegal about it. It actually benefits all the pensions and the individual investors. Okay. But also, it allows them to, to uh, increase their R&D budget. I understand that argument, Weiss, but are you worried about the political risk? This could no. become a big political football. No. Obviously, we're seeing Democrats on the side that the prices shouldn't be hiked. No. I mean, I've been hearing about this for 30 years. I'm not worried about it. Not at all. No risk here that, you know, the, the people might view this stock a certain way just politically or there might be some efforts to perhaps take it out of funds that are ESG focused, anything like that. I, I heard what, what Meg was saying uh, in, in terms of that's the reason for being down today. But I don't think anybody ever focused on that. That's not why people own this stock. Why pe that's why people sold it, actually, because the pandemic's over. Why people own the stock and why I own it, granted, it's a reduced okay. position, is because of the pipeline. So I think you still own it for that reason. And the technology. It's a technology company. All right. Well, Moderna shares down one and a quarter percent.
Also, don't miss CNBC's Healthy Returns one week from today. The virtual conference will give you the inside scoop on the hottest healthcare trends, investing insights, and much, much more. Scan the QR code to register or visit CNBCEvents.com. Straight ahead, the state of retail, the sector outperforming the broader market this year. A very bullish call in the space today. We will debate it. That's coming up next on Halftime. All right, welcome back to Halftime Report. Let's get to our call of the day. Wells bullish on Lululemon, saying they remain buyers ahead of upcoming earnings. Joe, you own it. Not just the stock. Got the pants, too? I have the, pa- I have the pants as well. A big believer in a lot of the gear. Uh, at the end of January, the stock went back into the quality momentum strategy and the ETF that tracks it, Joe T. Uh, it's basically trading at the level in which it was uh, added back in. It's going to come down to next week's earnings. I mean, that's yep. really what it is all about. Understand from a valuation perspective, it's trading at a significant historical discount while others, its peers like Nike, are trading at a historical premium. So uh, whether it's the case of Nike or, or uh, on the, the sneakers, you saw strong results there. What's the read through for, for Lulu? I think the international is going to be a lot stronger than is expected. Mm-hmm. North America, there'll still be some challenges, but I think there'll be enough in the international to offset it. And you're still talking about a company where it's attainable to see mid-teen revenue growth on the year. So we'll know next next Thursday right. uh, what, what, the, what the results ultimately are going to be, or, or next, next the 28th, I think, which is, I think, next Tuesday. We'll know the results on that day, and uh, we'll see if adding it to the portfolio works out. Weiss, you used to own it. Um, similar to Nike, they do have some inventory issues. Does that yeah. concern you about this thing? You know, they've been focused on getting the inventory issues under control, and we heard about last quarter. They had the inventory issues last quarter, but the stock had a big pop on the earnings. So, frankly, I don't know where I come out on it other than that I believe it's expensive, and that's why I don't own it anymore. I used to own it, and I sold it. So, the question, what you're willing to pay? Stock not just expensive. Liz, the products are a bit expensive. Let's just be honest. I mean, right now, where the consumer is, what's your thought about Lululemon? 100, 150 buck yoga pants. So, look, I mean, this is probably more of a conversation about the higher-end consumer, and we know that the higher-end consumer usually is the last one to adjust their spending. I think because we have not confirmed that there's going to be a recession or a big pullback or a big loosening in the labor market, uh, some of this type of spending probably holds up for a little while. It's the durable goods that go first, and things like, okay, let's not do that $5,000 vacation this summer, but I can probably still buy yoga pants and go to class. So I, I think it's okay for a little while here. Yeah, affordable luxury. All right, coming up next, the committee is getting ready to grade your trade. More halftime after the break. Stay with us. It is time now for Grade My Trade. First up, for Joe, a Twitter user bought 100 shares of Datadog at 65.50. Can you grade their trade? Mm, Give this one a C. I want to stop on this trade immediately. Having a stop is important. Um, I could share that perspective from a personal experience. I own the stock at $102. I sold out of the stock at $82. Glad that I did. This is the type of name that you have to have a stop in, so please do that. All right, for Weiss, Marcus bought Devon Energy at 54 bucks after a recommendation from the halftime committee. He wants to know if the energy trade is over with oil now under 70 bucks. So, um, 
be my diplomatic self, here's what I'd say. <laughs> if you bought it for a trade, it's an F because those are just the numbers. That's the math. If you bought it longer term, I think you're going to do well because you bought it at a discount. You can't pick the bottom. Sure, it's come down lower, but I think it's a good entry point. I sold mine a couple weeks ago just because I don't like energy as an investment. But if you're one who does, I think you'll do okay. All right, there you go. Last one for Liz. Rob is a 61-year-old who has a 13-year window. He wants to know if he should invest in the Vanguard and S&P ETF VOO or the Vanguard Total Stock Market ETF, the VTI. So, Rob, I would choose out of those two the VTI because I firmly believe that what led you to the peak in a market is not what brings you back out of the trough. So I don't think that a market cap weighted S&P that's very heavy on tech at the top uh, is going to outperform. I would want to have exposure to those smaller cap names. However, I think actually a better option is the equal weighted S&P, which is ticker RSP. All right. The countdown is on to that Fed decision just over an hour away from right now. Mike Santoli will join us now at uh, can't get it out. Post 9 with his midday word. I think Mike's going to be a lot more eloquent than I will be. Halftime, back after this one. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Halftime. About an hour away from the Fed decision. Look at the Dow right now. It's session lows down about 80 points, almost 90 points right now. Uh, again, that Fed decision coming in just about an hour. And right now we're joined by senior markets commentator Mike Santoli. He's here with his midday word. A lot of things to talk about right now. Yeah. What are you looking at? And we have rallied into the uh, announcement, which has tended not necessarily to be uh, a great thing. If you just want to do the odds during Powell press conferences, you had net negative market responses. That being said, I don't think there's should be that much difference between a quarter point hike today and an implication that maybe they could be done or data dependent and a pass today with a sign that maybe we can make it up uh, in six weeks. I mean, none of that should matter that much, but it's a matter of how the market kind of has this sequency of responses, right? If they hike and the impression is, oh, they're over tightening, maybe long term yields go down and maybe that helps the banks on their uh, unrealized losses and you know what I mean so there's right. all this kind of pinball effect of uh, of responses that we could see out there we traded the S&P at 3800 a week ago Monday at the low so you've kind of built up this little bit of a cushion to figure out uh, where within that range we have to be I think it's shown some resilience um, I just don't know if it's that trustworthy or at least people don't feel it's very trustworthy because of all the bond market volatility all right, so uh, we had Steve Leesman on earlier, 83% chance of a 25-point yeah. hike, 17% chance of no change. Where, what camp are you in right now? Well, I think they go with it because it's the market expectation. Uh, but it's interesting because I think of that 83%, now it's not a survey, that's the market pricing that, that implies those odds. Uh, I don't think you have people who would be super shocked if they were wrong about quarter point versus zero, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people are saying they should hike but, uh, or they should pause, but they're going to hike. So I, I feel like there's a little bit of a low conviction issue we have here, yeah. uh, and the market's going to basically move to find that conviction up or down. Yeah. Sentiment all over the map right now. Hour to go. Mike Santoli with the Midday Word. Mike, thank you very much. All right, final trades coming up next on Halftime. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Time for final trades. Liz, you're up first. This is going to be anticlimactic. My final trade is to not trade today. I think you sit on your hands. It's too much uncertainty. Market could go very big in one way or another. Joe T. Biggest question that needs to be answered for the market today is can we see a calming in the interest rate volatility? I don't know that we're going to see that. That's why I think a name like McDonald's works well in your portfolio. 
Steve Weiss. I'd like a rules clarification of what Liz just did. <laughs> I, I've never heard that before. Um, I would go with the short ends of the curve. So I'd say the one years, one year treasuries. Uh, phenomenal yield. Nothing wrong with banking that. There we go. Uh, excuse me, got a little choked up here. Uh, before we go, one last check of the markets. Market hit in session lows down about 100 points. The S&P down fractionally, the NASDAQ down fractionally as well. That's going to do it for halftime. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.